In this episode, we begin the process of exposing what bad therapy is by looking at some basics of what therapy should be. My name is Justin Sincero. And I am Mercedes Corona. And we are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with learning about and applying the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 19 of the Polyvagal Podcast. Good therapy is legal. It follows legal guidelines. Therapists should be up to date on that stuff. Ethical is ethical treatment. Can I just say that we have we we have a, a just a document full of all of our legal and ethical requirements. So, like Justin said, each therapist needs to keep up on that for themselves. Yeah, yeah. We can for us. We just we can look go to what uh, Board of Behavioral Sciences in California and they or California Marriage and Family Therapist um, camped. They're not a legal entity. They are. They're not a legal. They don't. Um, they're not a governing body. But they're like an association, right? It's also the association. Was it AAMFT? American, American Association of MFTs. Yeah. So there's state level government bodies that probably are laying out. I don't know about, I, I don't know about every other state, but have their own guidelines for practicing and, um, grad, you know, what's required to graduate and be licensed and all that. There's also the national AAMFT that sets out like ethical guidelines, best practices, that kind of stuff. Um, and then each state probably like we have California MFT camped. Uh, it's a state specific non-governing body that sets out like guidelines and ethics and laws and like teaches and, and holds conferences and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of opportunities for us to, to find out, well, what's, what's the law around this thing or what's my ethical guidelines as far as meeting with a couple, but splitting them up and meeting with them individually. It's up to us to know those things. We're not allowed to get lazy about it. Anyhow, so good therapy means, in our estimation here, being legal, (laughs) ethical, and compassionate as well. Even if we're being legal and ethical, that doesn't mean you're a good therapist. That means you're following the laws and the ethics. That's great. But compassion, like a lot of the stories that we heard, didn't really violate legal stuff every time. Uh, Maybe could be construed as ethical but we're just completely lacking compassion like maybe you escape the line and that could pass some sort of legal ethical standards but the compassion just the basic humanity was not there and you kind of have to have that for therapy it's a little bit important (laughs) just a little bit (laughs) just a smidge a little bit expectations of good therapy so besides what um justin has just gone over the next most important thing for a good therapist is confidentiality this is one of those like set in stone rules that every single therapist has to follow. We are required by law and ethics to maintain your confidentiality under virtually all circumstances. There are very specific times that we must break confidentiality. But I think for people who are in therapy and are wondering about this or want, are interested in, in entering therapy, confidentiality is a cornerstone of what we do and a, I, just, I can't I just can't believe it I so, know, some of, the, I know some of the stuff that we got from people was like what was one it was like so I work for a company and my therapist was acquainted with or friends with the boss or something yeah and so the therapist disclosed to the boss illegally that's me putting that in there 
illegally that this person was receiving treatment with the therapist, that's that's an absolute violation of confidentiality laws. The other one uh, was, I think it was a high school student said that her counselor or his counselor was talking openly about their sessions like in public, like right. at, at lunch or something like that. That's not right. okay. That is not okay whatsoever. Right. We, are, we cannot, we can't do that. And the kids that I meet with, I tell them about confidentiality and I flat out tell them what you tell. Now, there are some restrictions, like if someone's suicidal, um, if they're harming themselves or others. Child abuse, elder abuse. Those kind of things, yeah. So, yeah, like, I, of course we tell them that. But I, I flat out tell them, what you tell me, I cannot tell anybody else. I cannot tell your teacher what you tell me. They'll know that you're here because I pull you out of class. That's kind of par for the course with school therapy. Um, the principal knows. They have to know where the students are. So, like, they kind of they know you're here. Um, your parents have to know and, and provide consent for that. But what we say does not go anywhere else, period. And I tell them, I flat out tell them, if I do that, I can get in trouble. Like I, I'm breaking the law. You, can, I can't do that. So, not only would I do, I not want to. I don't. That's between you and me. But I'm not allowed to. It's like the client has the power to, to, to pull the reins or whatever. Like we, we are providing a service to the client. Yeah. And Thank it's, you. I mean, I it's you know, worse, so it's you. a delicate, it's a delicate balance because in some, you know, it's complicated. We'll get into it. But the point is, yes. confidentiality is one of those like make or break rules like you cannot violate a client's confidential excuse me confidentiality again very specific circumstances of child abuse elder abuse if they're a danger to self or others other than that you know we can't say anything so if you guys are coming up on that in in your own experience if you feel like you can speak up if you feel like you can't speak up to the person, we're going to talk later on in the episode about how you can contact your state's governing body um, to to file a complaint yeah. or do whatever you need to do. All right, so that's confident. That's the basics of confidentiality. But what I want, what we want you to take away from this is, it is absolutely not okay for a therapist to be identifying you in any way outside in of any way. Yeah, and again, like the school setting is different, and there's something called HIPAA versus FERPA, and that's. We're not going to get into all that, but it's a little bit different. But um, generally, who you are in therapy should be between should be between you and the therapist, and that's it. And what you say to the therapist, I, I don't. It should not go anywhere else outside of some very very specific instances. So after confidentiality, the next part is informed consent. Informed consent has a lot of pieces to it, which um, I don't think we're going to get into, are we? I don't think that we need to. I, th I think the biggest thing about informed consent is that we require, again, by law, consent of the person who is the client or if the client is a minor, their parent, consent from that person to provide them treatment. But the consent must be informed, which means the client or parent or legal guardian <laughs> has to understand all the components, all the pieces of, of what therapy means before going into it. And this isn't, this is typically a, a form that we will have a client sign at the first session, go over it, make sure they understand it, have them sign it at the end. But it's also something that is ongoing. And so what that means is as, as therapy continues, as treatment continues and new things come up, or maybe the therapist wants to try a new modality or a new technique or something that is whatever you must provide informed consent that means you are informed of 
of all of the information and all of the plans and the upcoming stuff that that's coming up, you are informed of it and you provide consent, understanding fully what has been explained to you. I think one of the themes that will come up numerous times as we talk is that therapy is something that is done with you, not to you. So the therapist should be laying out, this is what I do. This is how it works. Um, and talking about confidentiality, talking about these basic things. And then you consent to that, meaning you're agreeing to their service, right? That's how I look at it is this is what I provide. Are you in or out? And you can say no. You're, like you can totally say no. So that's informed because that's a basic idea of what con- informed consent is. You should not be just walking into therapy and it just all of a sudden sort of begins. And like you don't know what's going on. That that should never happen. The, you sh- they shouldn't just be you probing and asking informed. questions. And what, yeah. A lot of that stuff is available on like websites as well for like the, the therapists in particular. They, they might have the modalities that they like to work with. If they're a CBT therapist, they'll you know say that. If they do EMDR, they'll, they'll put that there. So a lot of that stuff is available, but still they should be addressing that with you and... You should be signing off on those things. That way there's a written record of what's happening. Appropriate therapist behaviors. First and foremost, a therapist is non-judgmental. That is part of the point of therapy, is that you go to a person who does not have any judgment over your decisions, your life choices, the color of your hair. I don't care what it is. There is no judgment in the therapeutic environment because judgment is danger. Judgment is evaluation. And we, we've said numerous times on this on the show that evaluation is a neuroception or the cue of danger, which you will neurocept and drop down the ladder. There's this thing we do in, that we have in therapy. It's called unconditional positive regard, which is no matter what you come in, come in with that I hold you in high esteem, high regard. I expect the best of you. I believe in you, that kind of stuff. And yeah, we all make mistakes, but I still hold you in high regard. I still believe in you. And I still believe you can do better. Like that's to me, that's what unconditional positive regard means. But you can't do that while you're judging someone. So being non non-judgmental is again a pretty damn big part of being a, you know a therapeutic relationship. Um, I wouldn't feel listened to if someone was judging me. That's just not the way it works. Um, another appropriate therapist behavior is no giving advice. A therapist is not there to tell you how to live your life better. Because why would that person know anything about how your life could be lived better? A therapist is there to listen to you and to help guide you down your path in life, not to tell you how to go the way that they think you should go. If a therapist is giving you advice, (laughs) tell them to talk to the hand because it's no, they should not be giving you advice. If you go to therapy and you want advice, I I guess it's okay to speak up for it. I guess. But that's different. That's a discussion. Hey, what do you think? But even then, though, because I'm putting myself in that place, right? I would say, well, let's talk about what are all of your options. Right. Okay. Once we have all the options out on the table, let's do some pros and cons about each of them. Like, I'm not going to say go, you know, door number two, door number two. No, I'm not going to choose for you. I wouldn't do that either. And I'll have clients ask for advice and I'll say, you know, I, I don't give advice. I, I don't know what the best answer is for you. I, I believe you do. I'm, I'm happy to work with you and mm-hmm. think of exactly. some options and kind of weigh some pros and cons and whatnot. But I'm not going to be liable for <laughs> telling someone what to do and they go do it. And it was a stupid idea. And the, the, the reality is that maybe it's especially with the kids that I work with because it's a lot of gang 
drug use, um, a lot of stuff they don't want to talk about because they know I'll have to report it, honestly, that I don't know the full extent of what they go through. Even, you know, I just don't. Mm-hmm. And as therapy goes on, more and more unfolds. So for me to jump in and be like, oh, yeah, just do this thing. Like, I, I don't, there's a lot they don't tell me. You know, so I, I it's just, it's irresponsible to give someone advice because I, I don't know their life. There's another thing that, you know, another idea in therapy, which is that we believe, we should believe that clients are the experts of their own lives. Even if they're struggling or want to make some changes, they're still the experts of their life. They know their life way better than I ever will. That's, and like, I have to be okay with that as a therapist. And if you're not, you got, you got to get over yourself. So much of what we were reading was advice and just awful, awful, just stupid, terrible. just like <laughs> immoral advice. It, it, it was just bad. It was just bad advice from, it was just from a place of, I don't know what it was, of like frustration. Who knows? It, it wasn't even that. It was, a lot of it, and this is based on. It wasn't on the, a place of help. It was not coming from a place of help. By the way, bad therapists, we judge you, all right? There you go. How do you like it? We see you. <laughs> <laughs> the next thing in the outline, as far as appropriate therapist behaviors, is that the therapist must be present at all moments for you, the client, during the session. The best example of this is, is actively listening. So they are in this moment with you. They are not checking their phones. They are not looking out the window. They're not thinking about what to make for dinner. They are present with you in this moment because how am I as a therapist going to help you if I missed half of what you said because I was thinking about something else? That uh, pretty much sums it up. It's, (laughs) It's like obvious. Like, yeah, like you're supposed to be present, dude. Therapeers. I'm going to call them therapeers. I like that. Therapeers. (sighs) <sighs> it's not that hard it's just not it's that not hard. it's just not it's not it's if you can minutes of time that you're there on purpose you on purpose scheduled this time for the client i'm i'm tapping on my desk now and i'm worried about how the audio is gonna sound let's fo- no I'm, I'm banging on my let's, let's focus let's focus on the clients and not the therapeers uh, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll, we'll focus on the people who are in or are going to therapy. This is for them. Otherwise, I'm going to go off on our therapeers here. Yes. <sighs> All right. So being non-judgmental, no, not giving advice, being present, actively listening, and being respectful of the client's time, boundaries, pace, and process. Probably among other things. That's just kind of what you had brainstormed there. Yes. Respectful of the client's time. Um, There was a couple of examples. The one that pops into my head right away is the one where uh, someone had said that she, I believe it was a she, maybe a he, uh, the person was in session. And that was when the therapist, maybe a psychiatrist, decided to call in about medication and call someone else, like something else. There was someone else who had brought in or, or, or written in a, an example of how the therapist was taking phone calls from old clients or new what are clients you doing? and making I, appointments. I can't, Come on. I can't this help time but talk to the bad it, therapist. No. <laughs> I know. What are you doing? <laughs> this time is set aside for that client. If, if I have in my schedule 50 minutes of time set aside for Justin Sinceri, then Justin Sinceri gets 50 minutes of my time. That is what I'm getting paid to do. It should be 60 minutes, all right? It should be set aside 60 minutes. You end at 50? Yes. But, yes. but 50 if you minutes need is the a therapeutic extra, hour. 
but but I, I always I've always understood that the extra ten minutes is for progress notes, if whatever. But if there's some sort of crisis going on in that, you know, that you need the extra ten minutes, that you can use that for that client as well. But um, you, you don't answer the phone in session. I went to the same idiot that I went to see see Mercedes, <laughs> who had been a therapist for thirty years. Um, <laughs> apparently, she needed like thirty more because she sucked. But all right. <laughs> just basic listening basic listening it's it's not hard she was it's like not. the first 10 the first 10 minutes of the session I'm like sitting on her dingy old couch <laughs> and she's like scheduling or doing something on the phone or she wasn't with me though she was That's where, so disrespectful why didn't you I do know. that beforehand? Like, why Why is that happening during the client's time? I believe she came a, mi- a minute late as well. And I'm, I'm a big stickler for that. I don't like you being late. I don't like meetings to start late. But she... That's true. Uh, there's a couple... See, of, she was this an idiot. Is, this she is was a place beyond, where... <laughs> it went beyond that as well. There was actually an ethical thing that popped up. But um, as far as time goes, because we're focusing on time. Yeah, like, you can't... Don't start late. End on time. You you have to be able to manage your time. I can't help but talk to the therapist. I know. Let's just be the voice for the therapists that are pissed off at these other therapists I and think, the clients that are pissed off. I I, th- as well. I honestly I think if we tried not to, it obviously it's not going to work because you've already not tried not to. It's not going to work. Gonna just 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 go with it. Just feel what Fine. you're feeling, Justin. I'm not going to judge it. Don't judge it. Either just feel it, experience it. Time is a is a big one to me. And we have to, be, so as in the school setting, I have to be aware that they have time when they get out of school, when they go to the next class. We, we you know, well, both of us, we really have to be aware of time um, and being very respectful of that. I don't answer my phone in session. I get, when people knock on my door, I get really upset, honestly. Maybe I should yeah. put, maybe I should make that more Me obvious too. to not. But um, if the phone rings, I ignore it. It's sacred time. And I, like you, I work in a school and I have made it very clear to the staff I work with, do not interrupt me when I put the little sign out on the door in session. Do not interrupt me for yeah. anything unless somebody is bleeding, unless there's a significant emergency of some sort. Do not interrupt me during session time. This is my time with the client. This is their time. That's it. I give them my attention and I'm very, I, I do the best I can to be very sensitive to their time. Mm-hmm. It's not too much to ask. This is basic. Uh, respectful of the client's time, respectful of the client's boundaries. So I think I've heard, and I, I can't think of an example off the top of my head, but I, I read it in the Instagram post that we got. The therapist thinking that they know what's best for the client as far as the boundaries. So whatever the client's boundaries are, it doesn't matter. If the if the client doesn't want you to come physically within their space closer than whatever amount, that's a really significant bound. That's an actual physical boundary. But also other boundaries like, I don't know, I, I can't think of a good example, but just things like, you know, don't talk at a certain volume or don't, you know, sit in a certain chair because that makes me comfortable as the client. I don't care where you want me to sit. I'll sit wherever you want me to sit. Like, that's not a big deal. Whatever your boundaries are, I'm going to respect them. Because again, as long as you're not being physically aggressive toward me or wreaking havoc on yourself or someone else, it's what you need. Yeah, I think space is a a big one. Um, I usually don't initiate any sort of, even like handshakes. I don't want to assume that someone's okay with any sort of touch. I always allow 
the client to pick their chair. I have one I prefer, but I'll let it go. And boundaries of like what they're willing to talk about. Of course, I'm not going to push yes. someone. I'm not like yes. it's, it's like I know where the boundary is. I'm going to stop there. Mm-hmm. Like I, I'm good. I I can wait until the next session or however long it right. takes you to be at that point where you're ready to talk about that. If it ever happens, it doesn't have to. But um, I'm okay. I'm a patient. But see, Adult, even that's wait. what you just said. That's a perfect example of of a good therapist. And so on the other on the other side of it, a bad therapist would say, "But no, I think we need to talk about this, and I think we need to talk about it right now." No, why? Because now now the therapist is focusing on the therapist needs and what the therapist wants, and not what the client needs or wants. And that's what the respecting of the boundaries is about. Is it's not about you, the therapist. It's about the client. I kind of touched upon respect of the client's pace. So we're talking about like the pace of what they're willing to disclose. Why would I rush someone? Why would I rush someone to talk about what they're willing to not talk, not willing to talk about? And I work with a lot of female clients, and the vast majority of them have some sort of sexual abuse, uh, or physical abuse, or you know horrible relationship stuff going on i I can't push like it's it's just it's wrong to push someone to talk about something they don't want to talk about that's just that's not right you know it's it's not okay like i have to be we have to be respectful of the pace that the client is willing to go at and again the client is the expert on their life they will know their body will tell them it's time to move forward if now if i have a strong enough rapport with 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 the with the client if I see they're at a point where it's where I'm making the judgment like it's time to to make the next step, but I see that they're like their their thoughts are taking them somewhere else, which is like a little like a like a like they're doing something automatically, I will pull them back and I'll say, whoa, whoa, hold up, you touched upon something and then I saw you go this direction. I won't say tell me about that now, but I will point out like this is what just happened. You, I saw your anxiety going up. You started your body started moving, and then we went to start talking about a teacher. Like what what happened in that moment? So I'll pull them back, but I, I definitely won't demand that someone talk about something they're not willing to talk right. about. And as long as long as the therapeutic alliance is strong enough, they're totally fine with that. And they'll like I'll I'll, I'll but I'll, sometimes I'll even say like I hope that wasn't too much. I hope I didn't push you too far. And they're like, no, no, actually I really appreciate that. And it usually it's it's never been an issue. I don't think it's ever been an issue. Well, because that's part of our jobs, right? As therapists, is is to give the gentle nudge over the line, right? Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. But not a not a huge shove over the line. No. A gentle nudge. And it and if they can't handle it in that moment, then we pull back. Maybe we think they can handle it, and so we, we do the gentle nudge and they can't handle it, so we pull back. That's fine. But going at the therapist's pace instead of the client's pace, that is again looking at the therapist's needs and not the client's needs. And and what we are there in that room to do is to go at the client's pace and meet the client's needs. Not our own, not this client should be better in this amount of time or this client should be moving past such and such, you know, obstacle at this pace. It doesn't No, that's all about you, the therapist, and not about the client. And that's not what we're there to do. Likewise, if a client tells me they don't want to talk about something, but then it comes in the next session, I will pause them and I'll say, not that they're a VCR or something. I love, I love how I said VCR and not... <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm not like hitting them like you know pause like but what I will say is like hold up wait um I want to recognize this is something you did not want to talk about last session I want to check in with you make sure that you you're in a good place and they'll we can talk about that and kind of process that and how they're feeling and whatnot and then I kind of back off and let them do the thing like but I want to point out where we were at and where we're at now and I think bringing attention to that is pretty healing honestly 
or it can be a part of the process of, of getting some uh, of getting unstuck, you know. Um, anyhow, so being respectful of the client's process. I think we've kind of talked about that. It, it, it's it's more of the same. What Whatever it is that they need to do to get to the place that they want to go, we need to be okay doing that. Whatever their process is, I've had, um, I had this one client when I was in private practice. I'm going to be as delicate as I can because in the event that she's ever listening, she had a, a lot of anxiety. And so I want to be very respectful of, of her boundaries, actually, which is exactly what we're talking about. Um, so as with as little detail as possible, her part of her process was that she had found a book that she felt would be helpful to her process. And it has to do with a specific diagnosis. I'm not comfortable with disclosing what that is. Um, but she found a book and she Mark said, Mark Twain, Mercedes- first edition, Huckleberry Finn. <laughs> no. <laughs> it, was a, it was a book to, to support her treatment in, in yeah, her, yeah. with her diagnosis. And that was her process. And she said, is, is this okay? I, I want to bring this in. I want to, I want to work through the exercises in the book with you. She said, we can also do whatever you have planned to do. And I said, no, if this is what you need, let's do it. And that's what we did. I think that'd be a good thing to do in the informed consent is to talk about how you work and clients to, to, to be empowered to say, I want to do, you know, worksheets. I want to talk about this thing. I want to talk about whatever or not talk about. I want to do more somatic stuff and to say, this is what I am looking for. Can you fulfill this or not? And the therapist should say, yeah, I can do that. Or I, I, I cannot. Personally, I can't stand worksheets. <laughs> yeah. So if someone came to me with that, I would respect it. But it's, I, I, I don't know. I can't stand worksheets. But if someone came to me saying I wanted to really kind of get in touch with myself, how am, I, how am I feeling in the moment, really process some stuff, talk about some stuff while being mindful of my body, I'm all about it. We can do that. If you bring me a worksheet, I'm like, oh, what the hell do I do with this? <laughs> That's just not my style. I can't stand worksheets. <laughs> but you're respecting their process, right? So either it's something that you can work with or it's not, but then you'll help them get to someone that can work that way. If because I felt like it was that big of a problem, yeah, of course I would connect them with somebody else. Next on the outline, sticking to the outline. I think we've I think we've gotten to a little bit of a calmer place that that may or may not change good. in the next few seconds. Here we go. Let's keep it going. <laughs> so the next thing as far as uh, we're talking about appropriate therapist behaviors, we've um we've talked about therapists not being judgmental, not giving advice, being present, being respectful respectful of different aspects of the client's needs. The next thing we're going to talk about is the focus must always be on the client, not the therapist. And so I think this has already come up as we were talking about the last piece, but and the vagal break just came off. <laughs> how, how dare you, bad therapist? How dare you? Like how dare why, you? Why are you there? If you if you need to get your own therapy done, go. Like go do it. Go. Yes. Absolutely. Why would you tell absolutely. your own stuff? People were telling seriously inappropriate things to. Just really, yes, their own personal stories, their own personal, what, breakup stuff, like breakup stories, divorce things. Nope, 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 nope. That's not okay. So personal stories, I think in general are a bad idea. I know I have worked with people who, I'm thinking of one person in particular, who who did a lot of self-disclosure and she said it was helpful. I don't know. I don't do that. I don't share personal stories. People listening to the podcast probably know more about me than my my clients do. I don't share much about myself whatsoever. And quite honestly, when I share a little bit, it doesn't seem to go very far. They don't give a crap. (laughs) 
the kids I meet with, they just don't care. And I don't think it's because we have a bad rapport. I think that they're there for a reason. I need to respect that. But the things they do care about, which I find interesting, is whether or not I'm a dad and a husband. And if I'm still with my kids and my wife, which I am. But that means a lot to them. So when that comes up, not that it, like they'll ask. And I don't, I don't mind sharing that. Like they'll ask if I have kids. I'm like, yeah, I have a couple of them. And they smile. And it's like, it, that means something to them. Yeah. But when I just volunteer, when I volunteer something, it just seems to go like in one ear out the other. Like, what? Yeah. Why you just tell See, me that's that? different. Cause I agree. I'll do a little bit of self disclosure only when it's appropriate in the moment with the, a specific client and when I feel like it will be helpful. Because if, if I feel like, oh, this is a good segue into my story about my weekend, <laughs> but there's no point in helping the client, then then I'm not going to go there. But it has to be beneficial to the client in some way. In general, therapists, I, I don't think should be sharing their own stuff. I think it's extremely common when it comes to substance abuse counseling. That is very common. Not that it should be or shouldn't be, but I maybe that, that might be more with like substance abuse counselors, not like licensed therapists. I think right. licensed substance abuse counselors, that's very common to share how they recovered and, and some of their history and whatnot. But I think, again, it goes back to being helpful to the client, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in those specific cases, there are times where having personal experience as the professional in that case will help, will really go a long way for the client because the client won't believe anything you say until you say, well, guess what? I, I've actually been in your shoes Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. But for the most part, mm-mm. yeah, personal disclosure. I, I think in general um, is not a great idea. That clients are there for a reason. It's not about us, believe it or not. Telling the client our problems should never happen, in my nope. opinion. Why <laughs> nope. would that happen? Nope. Nope. Like Justin said before, get your own therapist. That's part of our process. When when I was in school, Justin, I assume when you were in school as well, getting your master's degree, that was part of the process is that I needed it, to know. For me, it wasn't actually. Really? No. Well, for me, it was where I yeah. needed to know what it was like to be in the other chair. So I had to go and be a, a client. And so I found my th- own therapist and I went through that process. And let me tell you guys, <laughs> I have my own bad therapist story that I can add to our next episode. It took me a couple tries. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, no, it wasn't mandated for me. Um, I ended up just attempting it mostly out of curiosity. There's a couple things I wanted to work on, but um, you know, it's 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 something that in general we should do as as therapists. At least that's what we're told. Is that it's kind of a norm that we experience therapy for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I'm glad I did. And honestly, now that we're talking about this stuff, I'm really glad I did because uh, I'll, I'll let it go. Um, <laughs> so personal stories, no telling you their own their problems. problems. No. Oh, I almost swore. Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Doing any other activity, doing anything other than listening to you and helping you as the client, no. Mm-mm. They should not be snacking. They should not be changing their shoes, changing their clothes, taking phone calls, taking a nap, you know, drawing their masterpiece, writing the next great american novel Mm-mm. pretty simple none of that it's it's extremely simple it's it's extremely simple and yet here we are having this discussion <laughs> so those are some no-nos that i think clients should expect to not happen this is what we think should happen should 
we can't guarantee it will. We can't guarantee it will with everybody, but you ideally should be able to trust your therapist, right? Trust is the first one. That's the ideal situation. If you can't trust your therapist, that's real. That that's there. That lack of trust is there for a reason. Your body's telling you that your body might be telling you something. If trust, if now a lot, the, I mean, every single kid I meet with has trust issues, so that's that's real as well. I know a lot of people have issues with trusting others, and it's not because you're born that way. It's because someone probably broke your trust or destroyed your trust. Not that it's gone completely. The fact that you're in therapy tells me you're willing to try. I hope that the therapist can earn your trust. That's what I would say is that you don't just give it. Yeah, it, do, don't it just doesn't give it happen away. right away. Right. It doesn't happen right away. But theoretically, in an ideal situation, the trust will will happen. If the therapist earns it, I want to add that. Yes, yes. Trust is earned. It's not given. It is earned. Yes. Things to expect. Safety. You should, of course, be physically safe. You should feel safe in the room. And um, if it's something like Mercedes shared an example during our Instagram live chat that there was what was a, a chess game for some chess, reason, yeah. the yeah. client didn't like or didn't feel safe with this chess game in the room. So, so uh, Mercedes removed it from the room to yeah, help the client feel safe. So mm-hmm. simple. So little things like that. You should be emotionally. I think you'll be emotionally challenged naturally during therapy. But it should be a safe process. You should not be pushed to move farther than you're willing to go. I think that's part of safety as well. Um, you shouldn't be touched without consenting to it at all. I don't, and you can make the case for safe touches. Healing. I get that. I, I totally get that. But in general, I don't think you're, a therapist should be using touch, especially if someone, if it's not part of the informed consent and that someone doesn't know what they're getting into. Um, I, so I think in general, touch is not a part of therapy. Some people might balk at that, but oh well, it's just the way it is. Well, and it, and it goes back to safety. So as long as you're feeling safe, that is definitely one of the things that you can expect in treatment is is to feel safe. It, that room should be safe. Your your memories, your thoughts, your feelings may not be safe, but that room and that person must be safe for you. They really have to. They really have to be bringing safety cues. That's what's he, that's that's the whole healing part of it is that you're coming in with all this pain, but you're with a safe person and you can kind of go back and forth between the pain and safety and pain and safety and build some what's the word for it? I forgot. Oh, build your big old break, yeah. Yeah. So you you can build the social engagement system through positive social interactions with your therapist and the stuff that is difficult to talk about over time will become more and more tolerable. Or the things that are difficult to feel, not that you have to talk about it. The things that you experience, the things you feel, the, your your body sensation should get uh, more and more, I don't want to say easy, but like tolerable mm-hmm. until the point where therapy is done, I guess. All right. So connection, things to expect, connection. What, what do you mean by that? I think it's safe to expect a sense of connection with the therapist. And so what I mean is it, it shouldn't feel like you're just talking to a wall. It shouldn't feel like you're like... It shouldn't feel like that therapist could just be like interchanged with anybody else. There, there must be a sense of connection there. And I think it goes into the trust and the safety that we were also talking about, but the connection has to be there for you to, to feel safe, to feel the trust and to, and to want to get better. To me, I'm thinking about what we talked about earlier, which is that all therapists should be safe people, should be competent, but there might be one that you really connect with. Yeah. 
Is that kind of what you're saying? Like there might be more yeah. of a connection. Um, and I, I think it depends on what you want. If you want, like you want a long-term therapist that you can really connect with, and that, that should be what you expect. But for me, I didn't need that. I needed someone that was good enough. Exactly. So, and that, I was happy see, with that's... someone that was, although I don't think I got it, but and so I, I didn't need a super deep connection. I, I didn't, I wasn't searching for that. I think that's a perfect example of what I meant because the connection can be whatever you need it to be. I, as a client, probably need to feel, you know, something kind of heavier and, and, and bigger than that for my own self. But I know that I've worked with, when I was in private practice, I worked with some people who, um, they would come to see me through the EAP, the, what was that? The employee assistance program. Employee assistance program, yeah. Yeah. And I, I I, saw one of those idiots too. She was an idiot. (laughs) The therapist, not a client. (laughs) No, no, no. God, no. Sorry. No, the therapist through EAP was an absolute idiot. See, I was an EAP therapist and this, I just remember this older gentleman. Her name was Mercedes. Oh my God. Oh, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) You stop it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I saw this older gentleman, not, you know, not old, just older, maybe in his fifties. And, um. And he's like, you know what? I'm here because I need to be here because my job said I needed to be here. But that worked for him. You know, I said, are, are you okay oh, yeah. with me? Are you, you know, uh, for a lot of older men, they seem to have some, some of them seem to have a problem that I was a younger female and I look a lot younger than I am. So whatever age they thought I, whatever age I was at that time, they thought I was probably 10 years younger. And so for some of them, it was like, oh yeah, I can't, mm-mm, I can't Is see that you. That's an fine. example of a humble brag. No. No, it's not. No. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm saying as a factual point, so many people have told me that I look really, okay, whatever. I see your point. Whatever. <laughs> no, but my point is like there was this one gentleman who was like, you know what? Uh, like, I don't need to feel, we don't need to be soulmates. I just, I'm here for you to help me. I feel like you're qualified to do so. Let's do it. And that's all he needed. And then there were some other ones that needed the soul stirring connection, you know? The students I meet with, I get that a lot. Like, I just, I have to be here. Or, uh, you know, like, that's pretty common. I, I think the world of therapy is not always the private practice model where someone's coming in and like, hey, I'm ready for change. And here's, you know, your payment. Like, that's not. But there's always connection, right? Like, those kids are coming to you for like, whatever it is, like, whatever their connection is to you, something keeps them coming back. And that's what I'm talking about as far as like on the outline, we're talking about things to expect in the therapeutic process that just something that keeps you coming back to that person, something that ties you in a positive way to that person. Reliable communication. If your therapist is ghosting you, look, (laughs) give me their number, give me their location. I really, I can't back up any threats right now, but look, the, the therapeutic process should be completely transparent and completely reliable. There is no reason on this green earth that any therapist should drop communication with you, miss a session, not tell you what's happening, you know, whatever thing and leave you in the dark. That should never happen. There should be reliable communication. And then within the session as well. So I'm, I'm talking about things like scheduling and, you know, time concerns, but also within the session, there should be no blindsiding of of like boom i just hit you with something crazy and new there should be no you know new styles new formats new like anything everything should be communicated 
clearly and reliably to you, the client, at all times. I think a couple of people said that all of a sudden the therapist is like, boom, here's some EMDR. That should not happen, ever. If a therapist had an emergency or passed away, they should have a plan set up. And I and I myself have had that situation where either I miss a day at work or in private practice, you know, an emergency. I have kids, I have a family, something happened. But I, I did everything that I possibly could to get a hold of that person, my clients, as soon as possible, as soon as I could. And if that's a day ahead of time, if it's 12 hours ahead of time, whatever. But like, we're human too. We're going to miss appointments too, because we have emergencies and things that we get sick too. But there should be reliable communication about that stuff. So these are things you should expect. Trust, safety, connection, reliable communication. Uh, another one here is a, a system for welcoming feedback during and after the session. This is something I take a lot of pride in. I, I do this with every client, every session. Is I After the session, I ask for feedback. I don't just ask them. I actually, there's this thing called the Outcome Rating Scale, ORS. It's something I got trained in years and years ago. And I took that and I adapted it for what I do now. Basically, it's a scale from 0 to 10. The outcome rating scale is to rate their their life outside of session. But then at the end of session, there's something called the session rating scale, which is, again, 0 to 10. And the clients can rate how I did for them. And I, I make it very normalized like this. You're not going to hurt my feelings. I really want to make sure I'm doing the best that I can for you. Um, so please, like, be honest. And from 0 to 10, how did I do? How was my listening? How was what we talked about today? How was what we did? And overall, how would you feel about your time here? It's a very fast process, but it gives me immediate information that I can track. And it makes it safe to give feedback. It's just part of therapy for me is that you can give me feedback. If I suck, I want to know about it. And the first meeting I have with them is I, I, I tell them straight up, like, I want to do the best that I can for you. If something's not working, and I, I will tell them, like, I'll make, I'll make a joke out of it. Like, if you don't like my socks, if you can't stand them, let me know. If you, if you, <laughs> you hate nice the way socks, that I... You have nice socks, Justin. I love my socks. You have great socks. Thank you. If, if you can't stand the way that I sit, if you don't like the office, like, let me know what it is. So, like, I, I want to do, give me feedback. Giving me feedback is so okay. And it's, it's only for you and me to know about. I don't, like, my boss doesn't see what you give me. Like, don't be worried about, like, getting me fired or something like that. If I suck, I suck. I want to know. It's, it has it's never been an issue. But, yeah, there, there should be a system for feedback. Your I think bi- that was a humble brag. It's never it's been a, an it's, issue. It's a fact of reality. <laughs> That you're awesome. In general, it's been a non-issue. There's, there's honestly been a couple of clients where I just the connection wasn't there, yeah, for whatever reason, and so those clients, um, it's more appropriate to refer out. And it's not because I did something wrong or negligent, but it's just like I'm just not the right person for them. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that happens, but you have a system of feedback, yeah, exactly. with which to communicate with the client about that. The feedback thing is to me it's a recognition from the therapist that they are there for you that they are not doing you a favor or that they're not like better than you they're not like like they're there for you i'm here for you give me feedback please on how i'm doing for you if if you're comfortable with it or not i'm not here like doing you a favor like i'm here providing you a service that you're paying for well not me because i'm not in private practice but that should be the mentality i think of a therapist is i'm providing you a service i'm you're hiring me for a service how am I doing for you? When I take my car into Honda, they provide they provide opportunities for for feedback. Right. Why right. wouldn't therapy be the same way? You're, I'm providing a service. Right. In looking for the right therapist, this is something that people wanted. This is what people were asking about. 
Yeah, we specifically wanted to put this in here because people people don't know. People don't know what to look for and, and what's what. And so here we are. Let's do it. So when you're looking for the right therapist, the first thing that we have on here is that it's important to be assertive about identifying what you need. I want to be the first to say, this is a hard thing to do. This is difficult to do, especially when you're seeking a therapist for for example, anxiety issues or depression issues, and assertiveness doesn't come naturally, it's going to be really difficult to do. But if and when you're able to do it, be assertive about what you need. You are the expert on yourself. We're not the expert on you. I think Justin has said it a couple of times during this episode, but we're not the expert. You are the expert on yourself. We haven't walked in your shoes for your entire life and you have. So you need to tell us what works for you. You're the person that knows what you need and what will work for you better than we do. So ask all the questions you need to ask. Every single question that comes in your head, try to be assertive and just ask, ask it. I've gotten so many excellent questions from clients, fantastic questions that I never would have thought to just answer on my own without being prompted. But before that question comes out, the client will say something like, well, I don't know if it's okay to ask this, or I don't know if I should ask this, or I don't know if this is a dumb question. Mm-mm. Some of the best questions I've gotten have come right after that. I think I think that people do know what they need. And I hope after hearing what we talked about so far, they can take some notes and be like, yeah, I want a therapist that asks for feedback. Or I want a therapist that I feel safe with. Like these basic things. If you if you can't speak up about it to the therapist, and if you can't be like, I want you, I want to give you feedback. If you don't have that within you, that's fine for now. It's fine. Absolutely. It'll get there, but it's not there for now. But let's say you go into your first appointment and I want you to have a mental list in your head or written down and leave it in the car, but a checklist. And if you don't want to confront them about it, fine. But if they don't provide you with these things, it's okay to move on. You don't have to confront them about it, but it, it is yeah. totally okay to be like, all right, like just vote with your feet, move on, try the next therapist out. And I know that seems like a lot and it can be um, a challenge. It can't like, I know it feels like you're starting over and whatnot, but those first therapy sessions, those are, I think it's a great opportunity for you to feel out the therapist and to decide if it's a good fit for you or not. That's what I, I would invite you to do during the first session is that's like, that's for you to, to kind of like grade us in a way <laughs> or to, mm-hmm. to go through like, like your mental checklist. And if we haven't hit those points, if and you, and you can't like live with that, then you move on to the next one. That's just that's really it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's actually the next thing that we're going to talk about is in looking for the right therapist. It needs to fit. So what that is is if it doesn't feel right after the first few sessions, it probably never will. Now a little asterisk I want to put on that is that the first session, an initial session, is almost always a little bit awkward, both for the client as well as for ourselves, the therapists. It you know, it's new. It's, 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 you're, someone's walking off the street. You're walking into a stranger's office. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a little awkward. That is totally normal, but you should feel some kind of a connection at some point during the first session. It could be something small, but there should be some connection in some way, A, a feeling of hope, a feeling of a little bit of relief, some clarity. All of these things are things that can happen in the first session. If that's not there, right off the bat, I'm talking about a small glimmer of something. If you don't feel that, maybe it's not the right fit. 
If you did feel that, or you think you could feel that, give it a try for a few sessions. But after the second, maybe third session, if it doesn't fit for you, if that person as a therapist doesn't fit, maybe move on. I think if you have a feeling of like this person did not listen to me, like I, I voiced myself well enough and they didn't get it. If there's enough of those like red flags, I think it's totally fine to move on. But you, you may not have this overwhelming feeling of hope that might not happen. But if you have some sort of like, um, you know, this if you're like in the neutral spot, like, eh, but you're a little bit more toward the positive side, to me, that's a little bit, that's some hope there. Like there, there's that's, some opportunity yeah, there. That's something. Yeah. But so, I think a lot of what we got from people was they were below neutral. They were, it was like a less than mediocre experience. And it's not that hard to like listen to someone. This is not it's super not. hard. Like it's, it's, it can be challenging work. It can be trying. It can, uh, stress us out sure like we we feel this stuff too but like it's not that complex to sit and listen and care it's just not it's not if so if you're leaving that first session without thinking or feeling that someone cared like that's that's a red flag to me and i think if someone a a client a potential client is out there looking for someone to be this person looking for a therapist so you basically have to pretty mess up pretty bad to be (laughs) less than mediocre Someone's coming to you and saying, I will give you $100 if you just right. listen to me right? And, and care. The caring should already be there. They shouldn't have to pay you to care. Like It should already be there, period. But that's why you got the job, I think. But Theoretically. Like, I'm going to give you money to listen to me. It's not that hard. It's not. It's, it's just not. not. Mm. <sighs> <laughs> when you're looking for the right therapist... You want to ask the therapist about a, a couple things we have here. So you want to ask about their therapy style. You, you know, I'm a talker. I tend to be a talker. So I might talk a little bit more than maybe Justin will or, you know, ask him what kind of style they have, what how they do their their whole therapy thing. Another question you want to ask about therapeutic orientation. This is important for some people and less important for others. Some people are specifically looking for some CBT, some cognitive behavioral therapy. If you're looking for a specific orientation in a therapist, definitely ask. I still think it's a good question to ask regardless because it kind of gives you a little bit of information about what kind of therapist you have found for yourself. <laughs> what is that? Why are you shaking? Sorry, I'm just because I'm thinking about all the the um I'm thinking about the you know what people sent in saying that this therapist was doing EMDR. So knowing their style is it's good. Like we should know the modality and knowing the style. But people were doing things that were not EMDR. Like I, I know enough about EMDR to know that what we read about was not EMDR. I know enough about dialectical behavior therapy to know that the email that we got, that was not DBT. What they were going through was abuse. That was not DBT. Oh my gosh. I totally forgot. I blocked that one out. Oh my goodness. Knowing these things ahead of time is of course very important. But if you get a bad vibe from the person, I don't care what style they have. I don't care what their modality is. If they're Mm -hmm. not competent listeners, if they can't listen to you without judging you, I I could care less what their modality is. I don't care. Like the lady I went to, a couple of them now, they couldn't listen. They had preconceived notions. They had alternative things in their mind um, and they weren't able to listen. I don't care what your modality is. You couldn't listen. After I 
said, just listen. <laughs> just listen. Like you literally gave them instructions. I said, I just that. listen. And like, just don't <laughs> talk and listen, please. I need that. And she couldn't do that. So I don't care what her modality is. I don't care if she can pull magic out of a hat and cure whatever I was feeling in the moment. You couldn't listen to me. I, I'm done. Like I'm out. And I gave yeah. her a few sessions. She just sucked. Anyhow. <laughs> so th- knowing the therapeutic style, I think is important. Knowing the orientation. Um, and by the way, this intensity, I don't bring the therapy at all. I'm not. I'm pretty calm in session. You know, you're pretty chill. <laughs> I assume you are. I'm not usually in session with you. I, I am. I definitely, I, I can match where the client's at really easily, but um, no, I'm yeah. not getting pissed off at clients and yelling at them and stuff. No, I don't do that. <laughs> Timeline for treatment. They should be able to give you, and it's, it's, I don't think this is an exact science, but they should be able to give you some idea of how long they think that your goal may take to reach. Some sort of idea. And that's so, I, I, honestly, it's, it's a really difficult one, but they should be able to give you some, I think, some sort of idea mm-hmm. of how long it generally takes them to treat specific issues and, and whatnot. It is, but I think something that you'll want to hear in the timeline for treatment is we're going to work at your pace. We're going to do what feels right to you. So if it feels too fast or it feels too slow, you know, then the therapist will adjust accordingly. But that's something that there will be a general, we kind of, we will give kind of a general timeline. It's different for every person. It depends, blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) (laughs) if you don't hear that that piece about you know whatever it is that you need or whatever your pace is for me that's a red flag because the timeline for treatment should always include something about the client's specific pace one thing i do want to add to this is i think that the progress of therapy should be checked in on pretty darn regularly and the, the dialogue of you know we have four more sessions um, or I th- like, can we agree that, you know, four more sessions would probably be enough. We'll space it out this many times. Like there should be some sort of dialogue about that going on. It shouldn't just be like, oh, you're done. Last session. Bye. Right. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> uh, perspective. Oh, perspective on medication. There we are. I have had clients who, or parents, I should say, this is mostly coming from parents when I'm working with child clients. I have had parents who ask me about medication. And the first thing I say, of course, is that I'm not a psychiatrist or a doctor. So I'm not, I don't have the qualifications to prescribe medication. But what I do tell them is that sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. Everybody's different. And I'm, I feel like I'm a broken record now. Like everybody's different. It depends. <laughs> but it's true. And um, that that's a decision that, you know, can be made along like, with some time in treatment but there's no blanket statement of like yes definitely all the time or no never 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 i think i think that again for me would be a red flag if if a client were to ask a therapist what's your perspective on medication and they had they were at one of those ends of the extremes you know never 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 no 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 or yes every time all the time forever absolutely i have i have my thoughts which i'll keep to myself i generally agree with you I don't bring it up and I don't um, push one way or the other, honestly. But if a client tells me that they're getting off of medication or that their a parent tells me they're taking their kid off medication, I get pretty damn excited. <laughs> uh, ha- ask the therapist about how therapy helps. 
Your therapist should be able to explain their job. Yes. That's, they should be able to explain how therapy helps. A play therapist should be able to explain how th- play therapy works. Otherwise, they're just doing stuff. If they can't understand why it works, I don't know what the hell they're doing. They're just sort of throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. They mm-hmm. should be able to explain why these things work. And on top of that, they should be able, be able to explain to you how they're different than anybody else in your life. I take it really upon myself to make sure I'm providing something different than a pastor does or a parent or a friend. I have to be a different role. I have to be able to provide something that someone else is, is not. Otherwise, I'm kind of useless in my opinion. They already have that through somebody else. So how, how therapy helps and how they're different than anybody else in your life. So these are the things you want to ask the therapist about. That we recommend. There's probably, probably more, but that's what kind of what we brainstormed. What helps in therapy is not the modality. It's not the technique. I mean, it does. It does help, of course. But it's the quality of the therapeutic relationship that is really the most helpful. And if that's not there, the other stuff doesn't really do a whole lot, I don't think. You, the EMDR, bilateral stimulation, the brain spotting, wand, eye stuff, the DBT self-regulation stuff, the somatic experiencing energy discharge stuff doesn't go very far unless you have a safe therapist that you can actually trust that you neurocept safety from. The therapeutic relationship is where it has to start because if that's not there, nothing else is going to work. The uh, Society for the Advancement of Psychotherapy, they say that there's two things in particular that are demonstrably effective. The Therapeutic Alliance and Collecting Client Feedback. So the Therapeutic Alliance is the trust, the safety uh, that you feel with the therapist. And as we said before, Collecting Client Feedback. There's an article called Super Shrinks that looks at what makes super therapists so super. Like what sets them apart? Part of what sets them apart is they ask for feedback. They ask for feedback. So Therapeutic Alliance and, and asking for client feedback to inform how you're doing as a therapist to help you do better the next time. This is what helps people to change. That Those are the building blocks. The stuff you do after that is built upon that. There is some hope here on, on a bigger scale. Generally, I think clients don't really know the process of therapy. And well, no one's taught them, so I don't, I don't blame them. It's really up to the therapist to, through informed consent, uh, to do so. But we really encourage you to learn about the therapeutic process. We, we touched upon it today. We started to talk about it today. We didn't go into all the caveats of confidentiality. We didn't tell you all the pieces of informed consent. There's a lot. I think we wanted to just give clients, people out there, just a basic understanding. And you can always educate yourself further if that's something that you're interested in doing before or during your own um, treatment seeking or treatment process, therapeutic treatment process. But yeah, we just want to give you the basics. In my opinion, bad therapists should be scared right now. They should be scared right now. You are paying them. You can vote with your feet and move on. You can report unlawful behaviors to schools and to licensing boards. We've included a link in the show notes with information on how to contact the state licensing boards across the United States. And if you are outside the United States, you can try Googling information about your area's licensing board or governing body or the schools in the area that maybe the therapist graduated from. Some countries, from what I'm hearing, don't have a governing licensing board, but the schools themselves sort of have their own standards of practice. So they would want, they should know the people who are graduating from there if they're being unethical or immoral or just downright inappropriate. 
You are a consumer buying a service, just like ordering food at a restaurant. I know that takes the fanciness out of therapy, but that's really what it is. There is a minimum standard that you are paying for, that you deserve. Therapy is a service, and we are beholden to you, and that is it. That's it. Don't allow therapists or psychiatrists or any quote-unquote helpers you work with one-on-one to take advantage of your trust and of your need for help. We welcome your bad therapy stories. We'd love to get audio messages of those. Uh, Keep sending them DMs and and email us totally fine. I think it's just an open invitation at this point to send those in. And hopefully Mercedes and I can revisit those every now and then. But uh, we'd love to hear your voice. It's so nice to hear, like audibly hear your voices. And it's nice to know that we're part of this community that we've kind of created. And, you know, hearing from you guys is, is an awesome part for me. One more announcement that I want to make is that Mercedes is awesome. She's really stepped up recently. I've been preparing for a couple of presentations that I'll be doing. I've been doing a lot of outreach locally or attempting to. And she stepped up with the outline this week. So thank you so much for doing that, Mercedes. And just want to let you know how much I appreciate you. Thank you, Justin Sinceri. I really, I truly am just trying to follow your lead. You truly have taught me. I'm not being sarcastic. You truly have taught me so much about this whole process. So thank you so much for listening, Mercedes, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode in the Trauma Nerds Community Forum. It's the non-therapeutic forum for the Polyvagal Podcast listeners to discuss the episodes with each other. Right now, it's just Mercedes and I. We want to see people over there to be able to discuss things in a little bit more detail. Instagram is fine, but it's not really the place to have a nice, in-depth conversation exactly. We hope this episode has had a direct and positive impact on you. If you have a question about anything, feel free to reach out to one of us. We have our contact info in the description where you can also find a link to the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Boom. In this episode. I'm sorry. You didn't tell me you were starting. (laughs) Go. We started recording. In this episode, we begin the process of exposing what bad therapy is by looking at some basics of what therapy should be. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. Boom! We- <laughs> <laughs> oh, you didn't tell me you were talking. You're such a butt. <laughs> <laughs>